This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the One who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, when someone speaks of Matthew 25, they usually mean the parable that brings to a close this 25th chapter of Matthew's Gospel. The last several weeks now, as the liturgical year comes to a close, we've been reading from this magnificent chapter that's full of parables and stories. This final one is one of the most startling, frightening, imaginative, arresting, powerful parables in the Gospels. It has to do, and how appropriate on this last day, this last Sunday of the church year, it has to do with the last judgment offered by the King of creation. Let me read to you a little bit of this passage. Jesus said to his disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne, and all the nations will be assembled before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Well, it's a great scene, terrible scene, vividly described. Here is the king of creation, Christ, not the suffering servant here, but Christ the Lord of the world. Assembled before him, all the nations, everybody. You know, I always think here of the facade of Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Like most of the medieval cathedrals, Notre Dame depicts on the western facade this scene, the Last Judgment. Jesus is there over the main portal, sitting in judgment. And then as we look at the scene, we are standing in what the French call the parvis, which is this great open space before the cathedral, could fit thousands of people. Well, it's meant to, to evoke this sense of all the nations now assembled before Christ the Judge. As you look at that scene more closely, you'll see just above Christ, there's Michael the Archangel, and he's weighing the souls in a balance sending the blessed to heaven, sending the damned to hell. It's stark, sharp, arresting, a bit frightening. And of course the gospel's clear. He'll separate them one from another. As a shepherd separates sheep from the goats, placing the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, Christians, I know we'd rather avoid this image. We've been looking at hard things the last several weeks. Two weeks ago, looking right at death, right at the end times, what happens when we die. Last week, looking at the necessity of risk in the spiritual life. We have to risk everything. Well, here, another terrible and startling truth, that God is a judge. I know in the rhetoric of the last many years, we've avoided this language. We preferred to speak of, of God in a purely positive, one-sidedly optimistic way. 
yet we can't avoid this biblical language. You and I both know this is not a exception. But rather this language of God as judge can be found all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New. What does it mean? It means, I think, that God is the criterion by which our lives are judged. Whether we like it or not, God is the ultimate good. Therefore, our lives in relation to that ultimate good are willy-nilly, necessarily judged. Are we in line with God or not? Are we on his beam or not? He's like the keynote. In relation to that keynote, are we in tune or not? That's what God the judge means. Jesus, the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus embodies, therefore, the divine judgment. And again, in a certain sense, he can't help it. It's his nature as the embodiment of God. Jesus is the criterion by which lives are determined. You know what always comes to my mind is the image of waves crashing against a rock. You know, there's something that's just firm and unbending about the rock, and the waves kind of crash against it, and they're divided by the rock. So Jesus, in his life and his teaching and his very way of being, is a kind of rock that determines, we break against him to the right or to the left. Are we with him or are we against him? You know, in the prologue of John's Gospel, we hear that Jesus comes full of grace and truth. Both grace and truth. He comes in grace, yes, manifesting the glory of God, manifesting the love and mercy, compassion of God. He's full of grace. But he's also, listen, by the same token, he's also truth, the hard truth, the edgy truth. That's what God, that's what judgment means, I think. In his great novel, Brideshead Revisited, the English Catholic novelist Evelyn Waugh plays with this image. Brideshead, which is a country manor, is a beautiful place. Gorgeous architecture, full of great art, full of gracefulness. Well, it stands for the, tr it stands for the church. Christ is the bridegroom, head of his bride, the church. So bride's head is Christ's church. And there it is now in its beauty, grace. But then we hear in the novel of Lady Marchmain. She's the mistress of the house. And she is a very upright and morally demanding person who wants the people who live in that house to live aright, to live beautiful lives. She's the embodiment of the truth of the church, both grace and truth. Now, as Jesus goes on in this parable, we hear the specifics of this judgment. How will we be judged? According to what criterion precisely? Well, now listen, Christians. It is not primarily a matter of right belief. We will not be judged according to our belief. We won't be judged according to our intellectual convictions. We won't be judged according to our political allegiance 
We won't be judged according to our artistic ability. We won't be judged according to our social status. Now, all those things are fine and good. They're worth pursuing. Nothing wrong with them in themselves. But the Lord is telling us here, we won't be judged by them. How often, by the way, the world judges us by these qualities. The world will applaud us if we have high social status. The world will reward us if we have great intellectual achievement. The world will say, yes, hooray for you if we have the right political allegiance. But how will Christ judge us? How will Christ judge? It is a matter of love concretely expressed. Let me say that again. We will be judged in accord with our love concretely expressed. Listen to him. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, you clothed me. Ill, and you cared for me. In prison, and you visited me. Of course, we know the famous connection Jesus makes when the blessed say, Lord, when, when were you hungry and thirsty? And when were you ill and naked? And when did we care for you? And he says, whenever you did it for one of these least brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Well, there's something awful, I think, in the specificity of these demands. What the Lord is saying here is, it is not love in the abstract that matters. It's not a general feeling of being well disposed toward others, having affection for humanity in the abstract. No, that's not how we will be judged. Rather, caring for that person, I mean the one you can see, the one you are concretely in touch with, that person who doesn't have adequate food or drink, doing something with everything in your power, I mean with your own hands, your own life, but also using whatever political, social influence you can muster to help that person. It's caring for that person who's homeless, lonely, abandoned, that person right now, walking around in rags without sufficient clothing. Where are these people? Well, those who are listening to me in the Chicago area, no matter where you are, they are within miles of you. On the highways, they're within minutes of you. Anyone listening to me? Jesus is saying it is in terms of your concrete care of such people that you will be judged. You know, uh, last summer I mentioned to you I went to Gethsemane, the Trappist Monastery in Kentucky, and I was to give talks to the monks. On the way there, I wasn't too far from the monastery, I'm in a stoplight, and there's a man by the side of the road with a sign saying, I'm hungry. Just that, I'm hungry. We know the usual hemming and hawing you go through. Should I give him something? Maybe he's just a fake. Maybe he's just a charlatan. I don't know. And there I hemmed and hawed. He looked at me plaintively. 
The light changed, and off I went. Well, I was haunted immediately by Matthew 25. As I'm on my way to a monastery, a house of prayer, God help me to give talks on the spiritual life to the monks. Whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers, you do to me. Was that Christ who was visiting me on the way to Gethsemane and telling me this is what the spiritual life is finally about? Taking care of the hungry who need help now. Yes, that man, not an abstraction, but that man on the side of the road. I've spoken to you before about Emmanuel Levinas, a contemporary philosopher. He speaks very movingly of the power of the face, the face of the other. I can dismiss others when I think of them abstractly, but when the face of somebody in need confronts me, Levinas says it appeals, it calls, it summons, it accuses isn't that good? It accuses me. It says, yes, now you. I'm making a demand on you to help me. This, I think, is what Jesus is talking about here. You know when he says, I was ill and you cared for me? Are there people right around you? I don't even have to go on the highway to find these people. They're right down the road from you. People who are homebound. People who are anxious, depressed, maybe unable, unwilling to leave their home. Caring for them, yes, now. Even the last one I love. I was in prison, you visited me. I've told you before about Johnny Cash, the great country singer, when he was asked, why do you perform in prison so often? He said, well, they're great audiences. But secondly, and more importantly, because I'm a Christian, and Christians are called upon to visit prisoners. Okay, good, it's Matthew 25. It's Matthew 25 he was talking about. Dorothy Day said, everything a baptized person does should be directly or indirectly related to the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. That's Matthew 25. Christians, can I encourage you to do something? Every night before you go to sleep, use this text, the end of Matthew chapter 25, as an examination of conscience. Put it there next to your bed. Use it to examine your conscience. Lord, have I responded to you when you're poor and you're needy? That's how we'll be judged. God bless. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. To purchase copies of the word on fire, call 847-297-4360. That's 847-297-4360.